Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the Continental Breakfast. We are back. Just myself and Steve uh, recording uh, this episode. First round of the quarterfinals are done and dusted. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right. Um, I am happy because, as as everyone knows, has been listening to this, or you guys know knows, I'm a massive into Italy. Want Italy to do well. Want Italy to win. I've been saying the whole time, thinking they're going to win it. But I'm also a bit devastated because Leonardo Spinazzola looks like his tournament's over. And we'll get into the game and talk about that in a minute. Um, the two quarterfinals are done. We know we've been each other in the first semi-final, Steve, Spain and Italy. Um, what did you make of both teams have gone through? Were you impressed by Spain tonight against Switzerland? Or did you think they managed to slug it through and then penalty saved them? Um, no, I wasn't impressed by Spain at all. I think Spain's kind of last two games where they somehow found five goals uh, in each of them, like probably gave people a false sense of what this Spain team might be. Uh, and even tonight, like they fluked their way to that goal. Um, massive deflection, obviously, uh, of uh, Jordi Alba's shot. Um, I, do you know, like Michael Oliver ruined that game. For me, I thought it was building up just nicely. It was taking along like Switzerland were piling on the pressure. Um and after that it really became like extra time was basically a game of backs versus forwards. <laughs> I haven't seen nothing like it at international level in a long time. But the fact that Spain with a one man advantage and thirty minutes of basically possess- full possession couldn't break Switzerland down. And like, don't get me wrong, Sommer in the Swiss goal was heroic. He was he was excellent. But it would make you think, like, if this Spain team goes 1-0 down to Italy, they're not getting back into that game at all. Like, Italy oh, is oh, not going to let them back into that game. But I would say, from a, as someone who loves shithouse football, uh, it is the dream shithouse semi-final because these two teams absolutely love to uh, kill the clock, to fall over unnecessarily. It's just going to be a beautiful thing, I think. I think for us too, especially... It's the semi-final of dreams, really, to be honest. Absolutely. Complete shit history all over the court. Uh, all we need, actually, is for this to be replicated in a World Cup now, and then for the other side to be Argentina against Chile. Or something, you know, and just be pure, utter chaos. Yeah. And shit history all over. Um, Spain tonight completed 970 passes. I yeah, know it went to extra time. So but it like, 30 minutes with what end return a one deflected goal like yeah. <laughs> this, this is the problem was it 28 shots and 10, only 10 on target you know who was really annoying me Danny Olmo was really annoying me uh, he kept the ball kept falling to him for great chance and he kept blasting it wide and I was like Danny stop doing this like, yeah. pass it to someone else you're obviously not going to score I, for, I don't understand how Danny Olmo gets into this being team to be honest sorry to have an absolute dig at him there out of nowhere but I, I don't understand I don't see it from Daniel from what I've seen from him but kept falling to him I was like no this is the wrong fella to fall to but yeah 970 passes Switzerland only completed what was 300 all but they once the, the red card came in they, they were up against it and they had to dig deep but yet again they were so dogged like they're so hard to break down They've had a really good tournament to be fair to them, Switzerland to get to the quarterfinals and put out France. They can be really proud of themselves. No, that would mean no uh, consolation to them at all. But they've done really, really well. But I, I don't know. 
I think this Spain team, I think Chris Sutton was saying about it, that there's something about this Spain team. I know you were saying the fact the two, the ten goals in two games, false pretenses, and that's, that, that is fair enough. I, I do sort of agree with that, but there is something about this Spain team just motoring away. And sometimes we see this happen in tournaments where people get into like a bit of a run or something, or they just seem to find some form from somewhere or some form of belief from somewhere. And you could see Luis Enrique... When they were taking the penalties, he was standing on his own. Everyone else was either huddled on the sideline or the players were huddled on the pitch. And he was standing on his own and he was sort of, if it goes back to him, he's sort of obviously talking up to the sky. And everybody knows what's happened over two years, past two years from the absolute horrific and tragic story of, of his little daughter. So, I don't know, sometimes I look at those things and I just think, maybe there's something going on here. Do you know what I mean? In a weird way, because like, he was just talking away to himself and looking up and I was saying to Sarah... I bet he's talking to her, and then I was glad then in the end that Spain won it mm. in a way, and, and I was glad that they had gone through. But as we'll talk about very soon, their opponents I think are the best team in it. So if they, I mean, if they beat if they beat Italy, um, they'd be certainly my favourites. But there was nothing really there for you then. If you're if you're Roberto Mancini, is there nothing in that Spain forward line that you think is going to trouble Kylian and Bonucci? No, the only thing the only thing that worries me tonight, if I am Roberto Mancini, is losing the best player in the tournament so far. Uh, yeah. a, a player who who a couple of us on this podcast probably owe an apology to uh, <laughs> in Venezuela. Who like, was I've never. Do you know what I've seen players celebrate goals less than he celebrated blocking Lukaku's attempt on the line tonight. Um, and he almost got an absolute worldie of a goal himself, uh, just before he got injured. So it's actually unfortunate. And like, obviously, I'm, I, I joke in the WhatsApp group about never, or was I, I can't remember, it was on, in WhatsApp or on Twitter about like never apologize and never admit you're wrong. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like my, my last experience with Spinozola was Manchester United absolutely like running him ragged in a Europa League semi-final, uh, second leg where Roma conceded six goals. So I came into this tournament absolutely convinced that he was the weak link in this Italian team. And no, it turns out that Giro Mobile is the weak link in this Italian team because as I tweeted last night, like it never has a team so good carried a player so bad. Uh, he is a woeful, woeful footballer. Um, and that might be like, you know, for, for all, all the pressure Italy are putting on, they're not, and all the attempts they're having, they're not scoring as many goals as you would expect. And he's part of the problem with that. He was annoying me tonight, Tiro Mobley. He was, he was doing my head in because he had plenty of, like there was one chance as well in the first half where he, Instead of hitting it, he cut back inside and he ended up running across the box Yeah, with the ball. Instead of hitting it the first time, it was lovely play by Spinazzola. And just on Spinazzola, yeah, it's... A lot of people have been saying tonight how he is... Even before the injury, how he has been player of the tournament and yeah. their player of the tournament. And he he has been absolutely stunning left back. And it was so... I, I was, I'm devastated for him. I'm so devastated for him to have to come off. And looks like his tournament is done. Unless some sort of miracle doctor. And we're not going to get into that. And can work their magic. Um, well, I've heard the Sky Sports Italia reporting tonight already. That's a rupture to these, so he is done until. Ah, uh, he is absolutely done. October and November, probably. Yeah, uh, Roma or Dostna as well. Well, well. Yeah. Um, but he's been brilliant, and he almost scored a worldy tonight as well. He should have scored. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just on it, oh, you touching something there? The celebrations for defending. I was sitting watching it in the living room on the beanbag, sitting in front of Sarah. 
and she wasn't paying attention to the game. And I started roaring when they started clearing the ball. I get into it like when uh, I think Donnarumma or Kaylee headed the ball away down low, and it went out. It still went out for a corner. Like it's still like yeah. Belgium could have scored here, but it went out for a corner, and they were all celebrating that it went out for a corner. You don't see that. You don't. You do not see that in the Premier League. I don't. I haven't recalled seeing anyone do that in the Premier League celebrating a corner because I. If, I don't know what you used to, but it was me. I was thinking, oh, balls, just have to defend this. Why yeah, but they for a throw in. Yeah, I, I, I. There was a couple of there was a couple of incidents where they were celebrating like that, and I was like, the, the Lukaku one in particular really stood home because I thought Lukaku had absolutely just fluffed it. I thought yeah. he had just made a hames of it, and it hit off the post and got out for a goal kick, and then you see the so replay. Did I. So did I. Yeah. And you see the replay, and you realise that he, not only did Spinazzola block it, and first, the, so then I thought that Spinazzola had it hit his arse, and he had nothing to do with it. But then actually, you can see he raised his leg; he deliberately got his arse in the way. Uh, yeah. An incredible piece of defending, to be honest. Like real, like doesn't matter what part of your body you is to stop the ball, just stop the ball going in. Uh, and I think there's just there's something there's something about this Italian team that like. I don't want to say they deserve to win because nobody deserves anything in football. We know that over the years. Like, and you can't, like, you know, you'd make the, if anyone deserved that to win Euro 2020 after what's happened, it's Denmark. If you, if you go in and inverted commas deserved. But I think there's, there's just an air. There's, put it this way, not a single other team have him, have played as well as Italy have now played maybe four times. Like that's like the Austria game was the one down spot. The other four games they have been different class to every other team in this tournament. And the only thing that can stop them beating England, if it is England they play in the final, is going to be injuries. And it's going that that is the only it will not be because England are the better football team. I can absolutely guarantee you that. No, I no, they they are by a country mile the best team in the tournament. And I actually think Denmark are the second best team now in the tournament. If I'm, like, in, in, in purely on how they've played, sorry, um, maybe not on paper, but on how the, on how the teams have played, um, what? See, if I say this, Paddy <laughs> Renshaw, Johnny Douglas, and Brenton Hagen are going to bounce in this because I think this is my mad take. But give me your thoughts first, Stephen. On I know he's he's announced earlier he's he's still carrying an injury on Kevin De Bruyne. He was absolutely pig shit tonight. Like he was as bad, as bad a performance I've seen from a player who is supposed to be one of the best players in the world. Like it was, he his passes were straight. I'd actually love to see his his percentage passing because I would be shocked if it was over seventy percent. He was so so poor. Even the free like the free kick at the end, he got a second chance at. Like the second free kick was just poor. Um, yeah. um, and obviously then I love Berardi blocking that down by the way have they stopped using the little white disappearing foam because it seems no, like they, they, they are still using it but I don't know if it, maybe he just ignored it I think yeah because it just seemed like the ref wasn't 100% sure about whether he had actually encroached and <laughs> it was like he was two yards away yes he did <laughs> um, but no I thought in general and I you could see Lukaku getting incredibly frustrated with him and ultimately the most damning thing you can say about Belgium is that they started avoiding giving the ball to De Bruyne at all um, yeah. 
and absolutely everything kind of uh started to go through through um Doku. Doku, yeah, sorry. Um and you know and they they ultimately ended up just pinging long balls into Lukaku when hoping someone would run to it. Um I know I gave him a bit of a slagging um the last time we spoke about Belgium about Eden Hazard like being anonymous in the game so much so I didn't know he whether he was playing or not. And the, but they did miss him tonight, I think. Um I think they really missed him tonight. Uh, and I thought that from Allen and Alderweireld were both really poor for the two Italian goals. Um, and this is a team that is supposed to be the number one team in the world, have been for over three years. It, it's a damning indictment on A, FIFA World Rankings, but B, Roberto Martinez has only lost five games as Belgian manager, but they've been the five most important games that Belgium yeah. had played in that time. Which just tells me he's not a good coach. And as someone pointed out to me, you're mean to tell me that the man who made his name for having a 29% win rate with Wigan is a bad football manager. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, when you actually put it that way, he is a bad manager. Um, and I believe, I, for, I didn't actually realize this until like that Sean Maloney is on his coaching staff. I knew Thierry Henry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize Sean Maloney was there. Kind of tells you where. It, you you put that Italian coaching staff with that Belgian team, and they are European and World Cup winners, and that's the difference. Like good coaching makes all the difference. And I we you know listeners of this podcast who maybe dabbled in our American sports podcast uh, in in early twenty twenty one or whenever that was twenty twenty um, will know that I am a firm believer that you, if you are a coach. You shouldn't put dictate your system onto the players you have, and that's for U.S. sports. You should adapt to the players that you have. And I never seen the more the more perfect encapsulation of uh, a team that has adapted to its strengths as as Italy have. Like they are, Roberto Mancini's what he has done as a coach is taken every single one of his players, found their number one strength and adapted the whole team to play around that whereas yeah. Belgium just feels like a collection of individuals all trying to do their own thing and as good as Doku was this evening like there's times I, I said it to, to, to my to my wife Amy uh, when we were watching the match like it feels like one of those five-a-side games where one lad knows he's better than everyone else and he yeah. just looks down and runs towards goals every time and Doku felt a little bit like that tonight and I don't blame him because he like he had the beating of, of Di Lorenzo, like, all ends up, so he, why not do it? Um, but at the same time, yeah, if I was Lukaku, I would be very annoyed that he had he had the penalty and he had the one clearance off the line, and that was really it in terms of his chances. If you have a striker of that quality, you have to be creating more chances in a game. I don't, Especially against a team like Italy, who will give you chances. They're just very good at defending them. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And the thing is as well, like on on um, on Belgium just to start off with, and it has been pointed out they they have been hit by injuries. They're yes. missing, like they had to pay the play Torgan Hazard at fullback again, and and he is he's a he's a good player. Hazard he scored a great goal against Portugal, but Castagna is a much better option. But obviously he got his face broken, um, in the first game. Thomas Mounier, like. We've talked about Spinazzola already. He was getting roasted by Spinazzola. 
and he looked a bit out of sorts then because he didn't know well that he could go, go forward because he knew if he yeah. went too far forward and he left it, um, they would counter-attack with Insigne and, and Spinazzola and, I mean, look what Insigne did. Telemans couldn't, if you look at that goal again, uh, uh, Insigne's, he finally scored one and Italian number 10 uh, lighting up the world stage though, it just does it all for me and especially this is someone that's wearing a Baggio top currently as we're doing this podcast from number 10 in the back. Um, <laughs> But if you watch Insigne goal again, when he gets the ball, Mounier is obviously trying to track the runner, so he doesn't go towards him. Telemans can't touch him. He's already just got a yellow. Yeah. So Telemans just hangs that leg out that you just do when you don't really want to touch him, and if you can get a nudge on the ball, you get a nudge on the ball, Insigne just gets past him, and then there's no one else there. Like, Belgium were so badly coached tonight and I know I've made the excuse beforehand they were missing some key players but they were so badly coached I thought at times the the midfield of Witzel De Bruyne and Telemans at times there was just so much space in it Jorginho Barella and Verratti especially in the first half were not giving them a sniff after the ten, first 10 minutes not giving them a sniff and and it was only for Doku winning the penalty that got Belgium back into this game because otherwise Belgium were going behind two 0 and you 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 are thinking to yourself, are they going to come out here and blow them away in the second half? Just before that, you didn't yeah. look like Belgium were going to come back into this. Now Belgium did get some decent chances. We talked about the Spencer clearance, Lukaku. I don't know how he missed that header, and Hazard Thorgan Hazard gone too far forward, so we can't get a touch on the ball, and he, he ends up clearing it. Um. And then Doku skips inside a couple of times, has a couple of good chances as well. Chad, um, Chadley came on for that header for Lukaku, but you're right. Like Ar Martinez, it's so weird. Like that squad that he's had, the golden era of of Belgium, and just to be at so many times, just be so open at times, and just look like compared to Mancini. Mancini's stock was already quite high. Obviously, what he did in England, what he did in Italy, and there were. Like in Italy, obviously there was the whole thing with Juventus were boofed out of the league and stuff, and maybe he had a sort of free run on it. But his stock is absolutely soared now with what's been going on with the Italy team and in this tournament. They are unbelievably well coached from one to twenty six. Yeah. When he makes the subs, nothing changes. Yeah. And maybe and the fun. quality might change. Like Emerson spinning solo, there's a bit of a difference mm. there because they're not like Emerson's not as good, but Emerson's still quite a decent player. But in the midfield, especially, any time he changes that. Nothing changes. <laughs> the midfield still plays. He, he switched Chiesa over for Insigne. He brought, um, what do you call him, uh, Berardi on for the other side. And they were exact same going forward. <laughs> you know what? I, I was, it, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's the, that is the difference between... And I, to be fair to England too, I think they're the one other team that you don't notice when they make changes because the quality doesn't drop. They're not at the same level to begin with, but you don't notice the drop. Like, Italy and England are the two teams that don't get worse when they make substitutions in this tournament. And I think that's fair to say. Um, one thing I noticed tonight, I, I was just chatting to some mates, like when we were watching the, on WhatsApp or whatever, like, and, uh, I was talking with Jorginho and like, it's incredible that he's a key player in, probably the best national side in world football. He's a key player in the current Champions League winners and yet is one of the most overlooked footballers because everyone just kind of, like when when you're talking about Chelsea, you talk about Kante 
Um, yeah. And when, you, when you're talking about Italy, you talk about Verratti or Insigne or Chiesa, you know, do you know what I mean? Or it's been as old as we spent most of the evening talking about. You don't, and yet, like he's either a very lucky passenger, or he's an exceptionally good footballer that doesn't get enough credit for it. I think it's the second one. Yeah, I think I'm 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 edging towards the second one too. Like I think he does obviously. Like he's overshadowed by bigger names, and that's that's no doubt. But he gets on with it, and like I saw, I, I know there was a couple of days ago people were talking about him for the Ballon d'Or, and that that's maybe too excessive the other way. But I do think he deserves recognition as as a really like he is a superstar, like just one of those understated superstars. I think. Oh yeah, every great team has one of them, like or a couple. <laughs> It's that you know, water carrier thing, isn't it, really? Like, you know, the Deschamps kind of role, like, you know? Yeah. Even, like, in early, just because, obviously, for you, for reference for United fans, cause I think people always think we always have a dig and that's Steve's the token come in to balance the whole thing, but that's not the case at all. But just on early Manchester United, you were talking about that, like, Cantona was the leading, like, like, we're talking, you know, Cantona, the early early 90s or whatever, and you just mm. start winning the titles again. Cantona was the main boy. But there was players like, and, and Keane obviously came through here, but in that stage, there was Roy Keane that was just there, doing an unbelievable job, don't don't get me wrong, doing an unbelievable job, but he hadn't come through just yet to be the Roy Keane that he was, and then be the talisman, but he was there, whereas Cantona was taking the light, and he was doing such an unreal job. And that's sort of what Jorginho was doing, like, there was just, he did a, he pirouetted away from someone earlier, and it was just so effortless. He looks, Jorginho, like, you know, I would fancy R2, Toddler sons up against him in a fight. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Not not two on one, one on one. I would fancy yeah. Teddy, and I'd fancy Finn to beat him. He looks so small, frail that he's not. But he gets so stuck in, and he does seem to be able to get away and and dictate the game. And I mean, before the the Euro started, Verratti was injured, and there was obviously a lot of talk about Verratti, especially like say James Horcastle, we talked about in the Athletic and and different people on on certain podcasts and, and and the Guardian and different things doing their previews and whatever talking about Verratti being the key man. But anytime I have saw Verratti, that's not loads. Like he's done okay. There's been one or two games in Champions League where he's been brilliant. You're thinking, well, he is quite good. But more or less, if I've dipped in the PSG games, I've been like, well, you know, I don't get this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then he does that for seventy odd minutes tonight, and and other performances like there's one against Wales where he just <laughs> dictated the whole game, and you think you sort of watching that myself and going, I actually I can sort of see it now, I can see now why he is at least key man. Yeah, and do you know, like I think the thing with Verratti, and it's certainly uh, this is a bias I have. It's, uh, but I think it's also true, like playing where he plays with PSG. And in a like essentially a two team league, if if not just a one and a half team league, like we always say that like you know steel forges steel, and when you're not playing at that level week in week out, like you kind of lose. How good is that player? Like you know, and then you see him up against the world's the, in Belgium, like literally the best team in the world officially, and a stunning footballer. So yeah, I think Italy have just so so much potential that. Like, part of me, like, I know, like, y- you have been on them from the start of, well, part of me doesn't, doesn't know how they weren't everyone's pick for this tournament. Do you know that kind of, like, on reflection? Um, tomorrow then, Steve, we have two more quarterfinals. Denmark against Czech Republic first, and then obviously, uh, England against Ukraine. The first one, 
how do you see that going, Denmark against Czech Republic? Um, I I think it's only going to go one way in terms of uh, a Denmark win, but it's really interesting to me that like uh, the the Denmark team have essentially in tragic circumstances, obviously, and th- thankfully he's okay, lost their best goal scorer, or sorry, I suppose their most famous goal scorer, and become much more threatening because of it. Now, I'm not saying it's Ewing theory or anything like that, but, you know, you have to look at the emergence of a player like Mikhail Damsgaard, like directly involved in seven goals in six appearances for Denmark, scoring three, four assists, like, you don't, that shouldn't happen to a player starting, like, their international career or whatever, you know? Um, I think he, like, and then Denmark in general, like, they're averaging 18, 19 shots on, on goal and eight shots on target per game at the Euros. Both the highest number of, for a team, for a team at any tournament, including World Cups and Euros and Copa Americas since 1966. So we've never seen an attacking force like Denmark. Um, Greatest team of all time. Well, like they're the first team to score four goals in consecutive games. Uh, in May the- I just add, and this is for the four of you, one of us called these as dark horses before the tournament. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying, one of us said Denmark are my dark horses, and that one of us was me. Well, it was much better than uh, Brendan and my dark horse, Turkey, who were the worst team in the tournament. So, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think Denmark always look like they'll concede, and I think Czech Republic will score tomorrow. But Czech I think, score, yeah. Yeah, I think they will, but I do think Denmark will win. I think it's probably like 3-1, maybe even 4-1. I think they have a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, obviously, Patrick Schick is the, the main man for Czech Republic. Um, but I honestly, like, I'm shocked that Czech Republic got this far. I thought in the first two group games, they were as poor a team as I saw in the tournament. And so for this to kind of, even the win over Scotland, I wasn't impressed with them at all. Like, um, so I think they have, they, anything after this is a bonus for them. Whereas Denmark are clearly riding high on a wave of emotion at the moment. Yeah, I, I think Denmark will come through it, but I actually have, I think I think Czech Republic have been quietly a little bit uh, impressed with some of some of their play um, and how they've got through. Um, so I th- I don't I don't think Denmark went three or four one. I do think Denmark will come through. Um, I think it'll be an Italy Denmark final, but we'll wait for the semi finals before we talk about that. Um, but yeah, that's why I, th- I think Denmark comes through. I hope Denmark comes through. Nothing against Czech Republic. And my mum has Czech Republic in her sweep. Um, <laughs> but I do. I, I would love. My my father in law has Denmark. Um, but I, I would love to see Denmark coming through and, and still on that crest the way. Plus, as you said, as you hi- highlighted, Steve, they are really, really good side to watch. They're a really, really good side to watch. Um, they play some good football, and just Damsgaard and stuff coming through for a breakout moment for them and different things and. Um, even Simon Kerr at the back, he's been class. Casper Schmeichel's been good at times, and obviously Ropey at times as well. But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one goes. It's it's another, it's a good. I think that'll be a good game. The five o'clock one, eight o'clock is Ukraine against England. Now, before we make our predictions, there have been some outlets that have already been talking about. Uh. 
one podcast, I can't remember which one it was. I didn't listen to it, but someone had highlighted it on Twitter, and I should have really brought it up here. It doesn't really make a good podcast, but anyway, was talking about what players to rest so that they were fit for the semi final, Stephen. Nice. And it wasn't a Ukrainian based podcast. I can imagine. <laughs> it was an English one. Now, this was brought up on five live Euro Leagues last night about how um, English people are saying it's coming home, we're going through, we're going to the semi final, we're coming back to Wembley and different things. And that's fair enough. We always get caught up in the hype of our own team. That is fair enough. And Rafa Honigstein was saying about last night, he says, well, I'll tell you what, if, if Germany had a beat England, we'd have been doing exactly the same. But it was like Lexi and Balaguer and, and other ones that were saying, well, you know, this sort of, it's a bit arrogant getting on now. And you you might just watch in case you get caught cold. Some of the things that have been coming out, I don't know if it's just maybe wishful thinking, Steve, but I kind of have a, a, a nice feeling <laughs> that Ukraine might catch England cold a bit here tomorrow night. Uh, I don't see it. I, 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 I don't think England. Maybe it's wishful been, thinking in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think England have been like. Don't get me wrong. I don't think England have been world beaters in this tournament no. by any means. Uh, I don't think the arrogance is deserved. I think they came up against a very poor Germany team, and you only have to look at the, the Thomas Muller miss, like one on one, and he doesn't even force the keeper into a save, like. If you replayed that situation a hundred times, that's probably the only time Muller pulls that shot left and wide. Do you know that it's that kind of thing? Like, and you, you, you can say that that's luck and you have to be, it's better to be lucky than good and all that, but I just haven't seen, like, they're a team that against a very poor Germany side, right? And we all accept that Germany is poor with the exception of that one performance against, uh, against Portugal. Like, they were on the verge of being knocked out by Georgia. Like, let's remember that, like, about uh, about Germany. They played eight defensive players. Like, Gert okay has inherited one of the most exciting group of attacking footballers that English football fans could ever wish to have. And he has decided that they're going to play a 5-3-3 defensive formation. And it's, 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 it's a little bit disgusting, to be absolutely honest, to to use the players that way. And if they go on and win the tournament, English football fans aren't going to give a shite. But from a neutral, from a, and and it's not neutral because we know it's not neutral. But from an an independent observer's point of view, it's not it's not nice to look at. Like that game, that Germany game was horrific. Like I I was dozing off at parts of it. It was so poor. Um. So I can see why you think Ukraine could, and Ukraine could, like, I, I can't understand. Jordan Pickford is one of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League. That is an established fact. That is not my opinion. He is one of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League. Why aren't teams just peppering the England goal with shots? He will make a mistake if you do that. He will absolutely throw one into the net because that is what Jordan Pickford has done his entire career. So I don't understand that approach to begin with. I don't think Stones has been all that good defensively. I think with the exception of Raheem Sterling going forward and bits and pieces from, you know, like kind of, I suppose, cameos from the likes of Jack Grealish, they haven't offered that much up the front, but they've just been consistently grinding out results. That eventually has to come to an end, and there's no reason it can't be against Ukraine. There's absolutely not. 
I think the problem is is that Ukraine can see too many, and I can see England building a one or two goal lead like in the first half, and that's the game done. Now I think if Ukraine score first, we would be in for a very very different game. But I just can't see it. I think they waste too many opportunities in front of goal. I'd love actually to know what their other. Oh, I'm just like. Yeah, they've actually. To be fair, the like the conversion rate for England and Ukraine is the same. It's seventeen percent. That surprises me. Um, and that's with Ukraine having much more shots on target. It's eighteen shots on target to yeah. to England's ten. So that actually, I'm I'm actually really surprised by that. So maybe maybe there is something in your theory that Ukraine could, especially the arrogance, because I know I've been rambling on here for three minutes, so I really apologise, listeners. But, I uh, Gareth Southgate has come out and said, like, you know, we're being calm, we're taking it one game at a time. And you have Jack Reedish coming out and saying, we're the most feared team in the world. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> the, the, Jack Grealish is wonderful with the ball at his feet, but there's nothing in his head. No, like, he's an absolute idiot of a human there's being. There's nothing, and he's, lo- he's lovely, like, he seems like a lovely boy. He, he seems like he's a bit of crack, and he'd be a good bit of crack to be around. Brilliant footballer. Really good footballer, but no, I I saw that as well, and I was like, oh, he, he hasn't been listening at all to his manager, and that's probably why he won't be starting for a night, um, because Gareth Southgate will probably go conservative and keep it safe again, and then try and get through. But the reason why I think this England team give you chances, this England team, I like, this sounds so pretty biased. I think they should start Henderson instead of Phillips tomorrow night. In with Rice. I think they need someone else in midfield there to take a hold of that. Yeah. Rice is very good, I thought, the other night. His second touch is a tackle, but he wins that. Did you he think he was good? I, honestly I thought he was good. I did think he was quite good. Like You have to remember, he's still only a kid. He's still only a young fella. And he did quite well at times. But there are there were so many glaring gaps. Like Germany had three or four really, really good chances. Really good chances. Team of Werner, friends on the podcast, so I can say this because he can't get me unless he listens to this, and then I go over to his house later. Well, well, I'll take my, I'll take my chances. Team of Werner doesn't score goals. He doesn't. No, he doesn't score goals. Like uh, he, he's been space jammed. Thomas Muller, he, he he got space jammed, <laughs> uh, running through on goal. Kai Havertz was excellent, but he you know was good save from Pickford. There's really good chances, and that falls to someone else who's in a bit of form, or it falls to someone else who just gets a break of the ball, bang. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, Ukraine have took chances. They took a chance in the last 10 seconds the other night. Sinchenko scored a good goal as well before that. But I, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people are on that coming home train, and this isn't just me being negative because I don't want it to happen and blah, blah, blah. Because I have English cousins, so I'd like to see them be happy too. But... I I am a, I don't see it. I I think even if they get through this, I think Denmark will beat them. I don't think England are going to the final. I don't think England are bringing it home. You are the second person this evening who has said that England will fall at the semi-final stage. And I think I need to troll back through my Twitter feed. I'm pretty confident I predicted an England fall at the semi-final stage this, uh, not that long ago before the tournament. I would like to. I, I'd like to address something though about the "It's Coming Home" stuff, right? A, that's yeah, it a very. Catchy, it, it is a very catchy song. So I it is a great song. Yeah, it it's, a great song. Now, it's no "World in Motion," which is the best football no, song. No, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's it's very up there. 
Yeah, it is. It's right up there. But look, I can say this as a Manchester United fan who spent 30 years dreading the day that Liverpool won a title, right? Uh, and, you know, for every year that didn't happen, you know, the relief felt great, but it just built up the anxiety. <laughs> yes. like I know where this is going. If, if it did happen, right? Yeah. But then it happened and my world didn't end, right? So for all the fear about what it'll be like if England win the European Championship, I promise you it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Because we'll just get on with it. It's just yeah. football. And they'll oh. go on about, they'll go on about for the next 50 years like they did the last time they won a tournament on home soil, not having to travel any distance to a game. Yeah. But Listen, like, if Jordan fun. Henderson plays in, in any of the next couple of games and he wins the Euros, I am a happy human because he's one of my favourite humans in the world. So I, and it's same Marcus Rashford, even though he plays for the other, the other team, he plays for your lot. You know, seeing him win stuff, as long as it's not an Anfield, <laughs> I am, you know, that's nice. That's a and nice the, thing to see. The thing is, like, you're right, Marx Rashford is a, is, a, is, a, is a brilliant person and a good footballer. Jordan Henderson is a brilliant footballer and a good person. Gareth Southgate is a, definitely a really sound person. Yeah. I have my doubts about his coaching ability, but like, there's a lot, it's, it's not that there's a lot to like about this England team, but there's not a lot to dislike about. Yeah, and yeah. Does that make sense? There's yeah. not a David Batty. There's not a Danny Murphy. There's not any of those players that you usually kind of focus on and go, yeah, no, I don't like that fucker at all. Like, um, so, well, there is, for me personally, then my beef with Phil Foden, who's been found out to be a massive fraud at this tournament, that's fine. I won that beef. Um, but apart from that, there's, there's, it, it, it is a likable group of players. Now, they don't play good football. They play really, really poor football. But it's a yeah. They've only had, like, I, I just had a quick look there when we were chatting because I was thinking about the Pickford thing. He's only had to make eight saves in the entire tournament. That is outrageously poor reflection on other managers not instructing their players to shoot from fucking 40 yards because that's the kind of shot he will throw in. Um, and I'll be really nervous if I think I'm a fan about all this praise and pick for two. Yeah. But uh, first of all, he's, he's literally had to make eight saves in four uh, games. Like. Yeah, and, and look, some of them have been brilliant and he can do that. Jordan Pickford can do that, no problem. He can make stunning saves. He kept Liverpool at bay one night uh, at Goodison Park single-handedly. He was unbelievable that night. Don't get me wrong. He can do that. But there is an Origi moment in Jordan Pickford. There still is. And I would just like... I just scale back a little bit, lads. They've all been saying about how he's been goalkeeper of the tournament. That might be the case at the end of it. We'll come back and look at that 100%. And how he's been... He's into the world-class stage now. Whoa, let's roll this back a little bit. Because you're just setting yourselves up for a humongous fall. And if it's in Rome, then that'll be the falls of all falls. Um, but yeah, uh, look. We but like, like I said, for any anyone who has been dreading the moment, because look, hopefully not in my lifetime, but in somebody's lifetime, listening to this podcast, England are going to win a major international tournament. Yeah. You just yeah. have to deal with it. Like you just have to deal with it. It's as simple as that. Like. Yeah. You, like I got lucky that Liverpool won theirs in the middle of a global pandemic. That meant that I didn't have to go to a pub and listen to Liverpool fans all the time. Oh, but uh, when I see you, it's coming. Oh, I, I, look, look, 
my parents are massive Liverpool fans. I had to go drive to their house and see their house with decks in Liverpool flags. Thankfully, I wanted to do that thing and win, win the Euros. But uh, yeah. Imagine. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, it's it's not as bad. It, the thought of it is always worse than the actual doing. So, yeah. No. 100%. Um, another... Another two good games to look forward to. This Euros has been, we'll talk about this at the end. I have absolutely loved this. I have absolutely loved this Euros. Um, two good, two games tonight. One went to penalties, obviously. Spain have come through. Then Italy came through a really good performance against Belgium. Um, the quarterfinals hasn't had its chaos moment yet. Like, it's been a sending off and it's gone to penalties, but there's been nothing absolutely wild that's happened yet. So, fingers crossed, one of these two games tomorrow, uh, produces that for us uh, folks pardon me thanks for listening to the pods um, thanks for tuning in uh, we really really appreciate it keep them going um, we have a couple more left of this and then we'll all have a bit of an international or an international summer break <laughs> pardon me get all your podcasts on all your podcast apps just look for the football babble and you'll find us on the name get us on your social media channels twitter and instagram football babble pod that's us there Bretton does an unbelievable job with those and I'm going to do the patreon link so bear with me folks www.patreon.com forward slash football babble one pound a month just like the athletic only you get to hear us and like that's unbelievable I think Stephen um, and it really really helps thanks to everyone that's already played hopefully you listen to this the first time maybe you decide to play it we'd really really appreciate it do us a favour as well when you see the podcast share them out and let your mates know because the more people listen the better folks enjoy tomorrow to, today's two games Denmark against Czech Republic at 5 and then England against Ukraine at 8 o'clock and we'll chat these again tomorrow discuss and look back on what went on good luck Michael Oliver is rubbish <laughs>